listening to Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile, Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Hi, Justine. Hi, Natalie. How are you doing? I feel young and free. How about oh, you? Same. Why would that be? Why? 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 Let me tell you. Hey! Um, today we're talking about young adult fiction. YA. Books with YA on the label. Books that are labelled that way because they're marketed specifically towards a younger age group, that 13 to 25 year old age group. We're joined today by our colleague Ben. Welcome to Dear Welcome. Reader. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on Dear Reader. Oh, you a look, fan. You look young and excited. <laughs> I feel young and excited. <laughs> yes. I, I'd like to. No. <laughs> so the question that I have for you both before we start our reviews on the show is what is it that makes a book appropriate for young adults? What's different about a book um, that's marketed towards adults and marketed towards young, younger adults? I think Ben should go on this one. Yeah. Young adult books, uh, to me, are books that generally have a young adult protagonist and deal with problems that young adults face in their day-to-day lives, whether they're about love, relationships, uh, school, school, uh, something as simple as bullying, eating mm. well, just mm. life. Relationships with parents, sexuality, yeah. figuring out what they want to do next. I always think of young adult books as um, being about transformation and, you know, mm. that moving through that difficult period of time when you're learning a lot about yourself and about the world around you and you also want to learn that on your own a little bit too. Mm. So for me that's that's a key element of what makes a young adult book young adult. <laughs> yeah, I think you nailed it though Ben it really is about having young people at the center of the book. That the, the the main characters are the ones experiencing it. It's not from a parent's perspective, it's not from a teacher's perspective, it's from the young person themselves and they're figuring stuff out as they go. It's, like, mm. it's a coming of age essentially. Mm. I, uh, I find it interesting, though, that a lot of young adult books that are marketed towards that 13 to 25-year-old group are actually being read by adults, which, you know, technically is, you know, in their 30s. You. Well, me, yes, <laughs> me. Technically you, Justine. <laughs> yes, I love a good YA. And the thing is there's so many that are really, really good, um, just, hmm. as, just as equally good as any adult fiction, you know, whatever that might be. Um, so, Yeah. I find I enjoy reading young adult myself as well, uh, and I find that it's because generally, it, it's unfair to say they're an easier read mentally, but they they flow a lot easier than adult books do, and in some of the writing, they're a lot less pretentious. Mm. <laughs> I think that's definitely true. But your point about how challenging they can be is enormous. I mean, these are books, I mean, just take something as iconic and as well known as The Fault in Our Stars. You essentially have a young person dying of cancer, you know, and this is a book for 13 to 25 year olds. You've got enormous life-changing experiences that young people experience and books directed at them. These aren't sort of watered down adult books. You know, young adult books deal with enormous issues and a lot of them deal with multiple issues. Even going so far back as uh, Go Ask Alice, which has been yes. floating around since the 70s to scare the the devil out of children regarding drugs. I yes. mean, there's a whole political conversation about that book, but it's, it's yeah, it's about a teen girl dealing with teen issues. It's still relevant today. Mm. Yeah. Here's an interesting question for you. When did 13 to 25-year-olds become young adults? Because, you know, a few generations back... Someone maybe thirty, maybe not thirteen, but certainly sixteen, seventeen-year-olds would be leaving school, going to work, and therefore be earning money and be paying tax and be classed as adults. So that's only you know 
say, 50 years ago, it's not that long ago. So wh when did young adult become a thing? If my memory serves me correctly, I think teenagers were actually a term created by marketing uh, to in the 50s. Mm. And from there, teens were seen as a market and it just sort of blossomed from there. Mm. It's the same thing we're seeing now with... Uh, the tween market, this came out mm, of nowhere. Yeah, it yeah. did. But I think books have always been written for young people, particularly young women. If you think of the whole Jane Eyre, Bronte sisters phenomenon, that, that entire kind of catalogue of books, they're essentially about about experiences for that young, well, things that young people experience, mm. you know, becoming a nanny. You know, they, they weren't going to high school in those days. They yeah. were kind of marrying suitors and their mums were trying to marry them off. And, and those books... You know, Pride and Prejudice is, is a perfect book for a young adult. You forget, don't you, how young those people in those those characters oh, actually are. Yeah. And yeah. that and that wasn't written for that audience yeah. and it wasn't marketed towards that audience. That was just a book of its time. In retrospect, books have always been written for young people. Mm. Now, I think we could probably keep on going with this conversation, but I'm going to stop it. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. Ah. And say, uh, before we get too far started, um, we want to remind our listeners that you can download Dear Reader episodes at SoundCloud and iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. And all the books we mentioned will be listed on our show notes on our Goodreads page. You can find that on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. Um, Justine Milady, would you like to go first today? I will indeed. Perfect. The first book I'm going to talk about today is called Nevernight by Jay Kristoff, and that's with a K. And it's actually been long listed for the Inky Awards. Um... So a little bit about the book, first of all. In a land where three suns almost never set, a fledgling killer joins a school of assassins seeking vengeance against the powers of the Republic who destroyed her family. As I said, this is longlisted for the Inky Awards. Nevernight is the first and currently only book in the Nevernight Chronicles. It's a dark tale of revenge. It's definitely not aimed at a younger audience. I'd say readers should be at least 14 years and up, depending on their maturity and reading level. It includes such things as torture, bad language, creative cursing, and sexually explicit content, and of course, death. It's about assassins. What's the difference between bad language and creative cursing? Oh, there's some good creative cursing in this book. I'll let you read it and find out. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it's actually kind of fun. Um, but it's, it's also an amazingly captivating story with really interesting characters, none of whom are perfectly good or perfectly bad. They're just really good fun to read about. At the start of the book, we're introduced to Mia, our main character, when she's very young and witnesses the execution of her father, an accused traitor and rebel. Her mother and young brother are thrown into a prison where they will eventually be driven mad, and Mia barely escapes death herself. We then jump to Mia at 16 years old as she waits during the dark of Nevernight to commit her first assassination and make her move towards attending a school for assassins, as you do. This school, or church, is made up of the deadliest flock of assassins ever known in the entire Republic. It's called the Red Church. This school only takes a small number of students and a lot of these will actually die during their apprenticeship. Once inside, the students will be taught the arts of swordplay, thievery, seduction and poisons. And each student wants to be the best assassin possible. However, only four places are available in the Red Church, so competition is tough and deadly. Mia is also a darken, which means that she can manipulate and use the darkness and shadows. And she has a shadowy companion who goes by the name Mr Kindly, a character who I definitely want to know more about. 
And the narrator is a character we don't know and we never meet and he does offer, or I assume it's a he, again, we don't really know, mm. um, offers a certain level of insight though into Mia and the Red Church. It'll be very interesting to see where the narrator goes, that particular format goes in the next Chronicle, which I'm very much looking forward to. It's pretty dark and twisted, um, the story itself, and the telling of it by the author is also pretty dark and twisted, but there's a great sense of humour that runs throughout and a whole lot of twists that I didn't see coming and I normally am okay with that sort of thing. I loved this book and cannot wait for the next one and hope it does well in the inkies. So that is Never Night by Jay Kristoff. Ben, what's your first book for today? My first book is by Sherman Alexi, and it's called The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, and this was a National Book Award winner in America. Junior is a budding cartoonist growing up on the Spokane Indian Reservation. Born with a variety of medical problems, he is picked on by everyone but his best friend. Determined to receive a good education, Junior leaves the res to attend an all-white school in the neighbouring farm town where the only other Indian is the school mascot. Despite being condemned as a traitor to his people and enduring great tragedies, Junior attacks life with wit and humour and discovers a strength inside of himself that he never knew existed. Inspired by his own experiences growing up, award-winning author Sherman Alexi chronicles the contemporary adolescence of one unlucky boy trying to rise above the life everyone expects him to live. I absolutely love this book. Uh, it deals with a lot of issues. Um, alcoholism, family violence, death and tragedy, uh, sexuality and growing up and discovering things about yourself and also growing, uh, overcoming uh, great sort of hurdles that can be put in your way by life and your circumstances. Uh, it's completely unapologetic. It's brutally honest. And I, I just love the way it doesn't talk down to the reader. It just, it lays everything out and you see exactly what's going on in the young man's head. And it, it just, I sat down and read it from start to finish in one sitting. It's really, it's brilliant. And yeah. And I believe it's also one of the most challenged books in America too, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is constantly challenged in America because of its uh, very real portrayal of uh, racism, the problems facing uh, the Indigenous populations, and also because it does have a very uh, unflinching look at what 14-year-old boys sometimes get up to when left to their own devices. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a wonderful read and certainly um, a book that more people ought to read. Mm. Yeah, Thanks, Ben. My pleasure. Natalie, what's your first book for today? Uh, my first book is a debut novel. You know I love debuts. This you do is, have a thing, I actually. do have a thing. <laughs> um, it was published in 2016. It's called If I Was Your Girl by Meredith Russo. It's a contemporary YA romance, essentially, about a transgender girl. So it's written by a transgender woman and features a transgender model on the cover of the book. Um, I haven't read much YA that includes trans characters, so I was really glad to come across this book and gladder that the author brings her own experience to writing it. Plot-wise, this is just a brief summary, Amanda is a new girl in school in a very small town in Tennessee in the United States. And like any other girl, all she wants is to make friends and fit in, but she is keeping a giant secret. There is a reason that she transferred schools and why she's determined not to get close to anyone. But then she meets handsome Grant and they spend more time together. She finds herself trying to share everything about herself with him, but slowly. She's also terrified that once he knows the truth, he won't be able to see past it and see her for who she really is. The secret is 
that Amanda used to be Andrew. So this is not a secret to the reader. This is on the blurb of the book. I'm not spoiling anything. And this is typical of books where there is a giant secret and you as the reader know from the very beginning. So you have a fair idea of what what format the book is going to follow from beginning to end. So there's no big reveal coming for us as the reader. We're just reading and anticipating that for the rest of the characters. Um, Amanda has a really amazing group of friends and really supportive parents. Her friends include other trans, young people, bi and gay friends as well. Not all of them are out and this is kind of part of her struggle uh, to find a way to tell people or to talk to people um, is that everyone is struggling with their own secrets as well. So um, the author's note at the end of the book is a really, really nice touch. She includes notes to non-trans readers and trans readers too, and they're really thoughtful. Um, the one point that she makes to non-trans readers that I wanted to share is this one quote, I am a storyteller, not an educator. So the responsibility is not hers to tell everybody this is what a transgender experience is. But um, she does make excuses, I guess, as to why Amanda's transness is unchallenging to the reader in lots of ways. And she did that in order to remove barriers to understanding Amanda as a teenage girl, like any other teenage girl, who only really has a different medical history to other teenage girls, but otherwise no different. And I thought this was a really open gesture, um, admitting that I kind of, uh, pared back and simplified this trans experience for non-trans readers. Um, I thought that w- I just thought that was really open of the author to do that um, to explain her road- writing motivations because she really doesn't does you know doesn't owe the reader anything like mm. that. But I just um, I thought that was great. Um, trigger warning: We've obviously been talking about the kinds of um, issues that are dealt with in in lots of YA. This particular book um, I'd like to just mention deals with depression, suicide, suicidal thoughts. Um, there's a conversation with a rape survivor and there's some severe bullying going on um, at a couple of different stages. So I'd recommend it for older teens um, or adults who want to read trans stories told by trans voices and also for trans readers who I think ought to be able to see more of themselves or different reflections of themselves um, more often in books. It's called If I Was Your Girl by Meredith Russo. It was such a great read. Wow. Yeah. Sounds great. Can I just say that's exactly the sort of YA read that I absolutely love and YA books in general tend to be a lot braver in telling stories that are designed to help people empathise and understand different points of view and things. Um, Some adult books can shy away from telling these stories and not feel like they're preaching, whereas YA, there seems to be a lot more scope and a lot more bravery in, in saying things and telling new perspectives and new stories. Yeah, yeah. allowing diverse voices to come through as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Justine, what is your second uh, YA review for us today? Alrighty. I kind of cheated with this one a little bit. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's actually, uh, I'm going to talk about... Four books, maybe? No, it's The Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer. I uh, I was actually uh, in the YA section at the Kathleen Sign Library in Carlton and just, just having a look around, you know, I do like a good YA novel. I was having, when a young girl came up to me and she said, are you looking for something? I said, oh, I'm just having a browse. She didn't and, know you were the librarian, right? Well, I was wearing my badge, but I don't think she really clicked. And then she's like, oh, I really liked this one. Or maybe she did and she just knew I needed a bit of help. Yeah. And uh, and she pulled out Cinder by Marissa Meyer, which is the first in the Lunar Chronicles. And she said, I'm waiting for the next, the last one. I can't wait. And I was like, okay, I'll have a look at it. So the Lunar Chronicles are futuristic awesome. retellings awesome. of classic fairy tales. So we have Cinder, Scarlet, Cress and Winter 
uh, which winter is coming out this year. Um, there's also a novella called Fairest. So you have Cinder is Cinderella, Scarlet is Little Red Riding Hood, Cress is Rapunzel, oh. and Winter is Snow White. I wouldn't have got Cress, but I might have guessed the others. Yeah, that one's sort of trivial. a bit more. Yeah. Um, and Fairest <laughs> is a novella from the stepmother's point of view. Ooh. It's really, really interesting. Um, so I'll start, I'll just mention Cinder, I think, uh, otherwise I'd be talking for way too long. Um, but in Cinder, a 16-year-old cyborg, half human, half machine. Of course. Of course. Um, is considered a technological mistake by most of society. She must deal with a wicked stepmother, start a rebellion against the evil Queen Levana from Luna, from the moon, uh, and decide how she feels about a handsome prince. As the series goes on, Cinder forges alliances with Scarlet, a, a spaceship pilot who is determined to solve the mystery of a missing loved one with the help of a magnetic street finder named Wolf. Um, she also uh, um, allies with Cress, a computer hacker who is imprisoned by Queen Levana in a spaceship high above orbiting the moon and the earth. And Winter, who is a princess who's in love with a commoner and who discovers that Cinder, Scarlet and Cress may hold the key to saving her kingdom and the world. These books are just loads of fun with great characters and compelling stories. They do follow the traditional fairy tale arc up to a point, which is nice actually, because it's sort of comforting and you know what's going to happen. But it's actually where they diverge from the tradition and then converge together where the most fun happens. There are cyborgs, there's mind control, there's people living on the moon, and an Asian setting as well. It's setting New Beijing. And some really engaging characters and wonderful writing. I cannot wait to read Winter. I believe it's just come out now, and I, I'm in the queue in the library for it, and I can't wait to, for it to come out. So that's The Lunar Chronicles, starting with Cinder by Marissa Meyer. Have you, either of you read these ones? I haven't, but it sounds like I love Star Wars and <laughs> it's kind of got a bit of that space pulp, and yeah. it just sounds amazing. Smushed together with fairy tales and great female characters too. Excellent. Really strong women, young women characters, which I love. I love that it was recommended to you by a young person. I, I know. cannot get over that. Well, I had to take it then, didn't I? And then yep. I fell in love with it. Yeah. So. It's, I absolutely love getting reader recommendations from our patrons. Uh, they're yeah. just absolutely fantastic, and you know they're going to be spot on. Exactly. Yep. Now, Ben, what's your next pick for today? I, too, have cheated, but in a different way. <laughs> I haven't chosen technically a, fic a young adult fiction novel. I've got a young adult graphic novel. Excellent. Yeah. We like it. Um, this is called This One Summer by Gillian Tamaki and Mariko Tamaki, who are cousins. And it's about a young girl called Rose and her parents who've been going to Owego Beach since she was a little girl. It's her summer getaway, her refuge. Her friend Windy is always there too, like the little sister she never had, completing her summer family. But this summer is different. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Rose's mum and dad won't stop fighting, and Rose and Windy have gotten tangled up in a tragedy in the making in the small town of Owego Beach. It's a summer of secrets and heartache, and it's a good thing Rose and Windy, Win, Windy have each other. Mm. Now, this is... A really fantastic book about two young girls. Uh, Rose is the older one. Wendy's a year and a half younger. Uh, Rose's parents are sort of typical run-of-the-mill middle class, whereas Wendy's parents, uh, her mother owns a bit of an alternative new age shop and whatnot. And what I absolutely love about this is the girls did all the things that I used to do when I was in my early teens, like 
managed to sneakily get out horror movies from the <laughs> from the video store and scare each other senseless and, <laughs> and they lie on the beach and dig holes for no reason and just go through yeah <laughs> tick lie in them like a lazy dog and just <laughs> your back bury yourself yeah. bury your legs run up to the neck and take funny <laughs> pictures and things like that. But then there's also this undercurrent of serious things. And I actually think it's a really good book for parents to read as well because Rose's parents are fighting about something and they're trying to keep her out of it. But she sort of knows a lot more than they think she knows. And I think a lot of adults don't realise this. Mm -hmm. um, and even with reading young adult fiction, a lot of adults read it and they see it from an adult perspective, thinking their kids aren't ready for it. But really, their kids are. And kids are really good at self-censoring that sort of stuff. If they're not ready for something, they won't grab it. Uh, there's also, it deals a bit with teen pregnancy, uh, suicide, uh, substance abuse and things of that nature. So it's a really, and I love the graphic novel format of it. There's some beautiful art in it and I recommend it for anyone. And again, it's another book that is challenged, has been challenged in the U S and has been banned in some schools because it deals with issues that parents think that kids in high school aren't prepared to deal with, but Unfortunately, you know, if you don't let them find out about themselves, Google's going to tell them and is probably going to tell them a lot of stuff you don't or they're know. Not, or they're not going to figure it out until they're older and then they're going to, then something like even worse could potentially happen because they haven't had this exposure. I don't know. I feel like if a book is challenged, I'm going to read it. Yeah, if you, if you <laughs> stick something on a band list, I'm going to go, oh, what's this about? Exactly, exactly. It's just, it's just begging to be read, isn't it? This yeah. is going to be juicy. <laughs> and I do love the graphic novel format. I mean, a lot of the times we recommend it as librarians for kids that are struggling with reading, I guess. But also, I agree, I like it just myself because... It gives you a totally different appreciation for the story when you can see the images, especially when they're done lovingly and beautifully. And a lot of them are like, there's a lot of care being taken with um, graphic novels these days. And they're, you can get so much more and kids as well. Sometimes they're more visual in terms of like being able to read with the pictures easier than read just the, the text. So I feel like it's an absolutely wonderful format to offer any level reader, um, especially if the story is like this one, which sounds really quite compelling. It's, it's good because you can avoid a lot of awkward language describing what characters are doing. You, I've, I've read some awful on descriptions of things mm. that are happening. You, you can show it and there doesn't have to be words and without those words it can, can turn what could be an over-complicated sentence into a really beautiful moment. Mm, lovely. Yeah. Thanks so much, Ben. Natalie? I almost cheated. Oh. But I didn't. No, good girl. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I must be, huh? Um, I almost cheated by reviewing Looking for Ella Brandy because that was my like, go-to. In terms of seeing yourself represented in books, there weren't many books about young girls who hung out at their nonna's house on the weekend and had to make pasta sauce. It's even it was... less about young Greek boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you got Christos Solkis, though. Yeah, he's mm. more for the older Greek men dealing with their emotions. I'm glad yeah. you didn't review Looking for Alibrandi, not because it's a bad book, but only because I studied it in high school and I just can't go there still. Like, I know it's like so many years ago. I'm it's not going to say how many, but no, 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 no. Next, please. <laughs> okay, so I didn't review that. I did not review Judy Bloom. For a change. She's I like could've... your she's favourite my... human. My favorite. She's a spirit animal. But in terms of YA books, mm. you know. Classic. Absolutely. And, so, past. and they were the books I read when I was a young I'm adult. on Tenderhooks now. What did you review? Oh. oh, it's really easy. Let me tell you. <laughs> 
That's not hard. It's called Graffiti Moon by Kath Crowley. Lovely. Uh, released in 2010. She's a Melbourne author. Her current book is on the inky long list for this year. Um, this book, Graffiti Moon, won war- awards in 2011, the year after it was released. Three awards. I think the New South Wales Premier's Literary Award, the Prime Minister's Literary Award. Um, I listened to the audio book, uh, which runs for about five and a half hours. There's two narrators. The chapters are written from the perspective of three different characters. And you've got a male and a female narrator and they take a chapter each for the most part. That's how it uh, how it rolls in how it rolled in my ears at least. Um, so on the last night of year 12, three girls and three guys go in search of shadow and poet, mysterious graffiti artists who create images and words all over the city. Lucy thinks she's in love with Shadow, but she doesn't really know that Shadow is Ed, who she dated once, but then she broke his nose. And Ed thought he was in love with Lucy until the whole broken nose thing. Um, (laughs) Set over 24 hours, these teenagers are on the verge of adulthood, of finding out just who they really are and who they want to be. These characters are really well drawn. I was surprised, which I shouldn't have been, but I was. Um, There's a lot of positive adult role models who support these creative young people, which I thought you know, was stretching the stereotype a little. <laughs> no one, there were no cranky adults in the whole book. So, you know, reality. <laughs> I'm a cranky adult. Like I just, I didn't see myself represented in Where's this Where's the bitter book. old people? <laughs> That's right. Get off my lawn. <laughs> they just weren't challenged. There's the young people who wanted to, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's good. Uh, it's set in Melbourne, which is one of the reasons why I chose it. I wanted to choose a local author and I wanted to choose something that was familiar. But other than a few mentions of suburb names, I didn't get a real sense that we were in Melbourne. Um, they're in a park at some stage. They go riding through the park and they end up in the skate park area. And I was thinking, okay, where, where are they in the city? What part are they in? But it sort of remained nameless. Um, the writing is really visual and that's because we're just, you know, the author's describing these beautiful kind of large la- landscape wall-sized pieces of graffiti. And so Shadow does the art and Poet does the writing and he writes poems essentially to accompany the um, the visual pieces. So it's all very um, beautiful and the writing just sort of brings all of that to life. It's The romance is really sweet as it develops over this 24-hour period and it's completed with expected misunderstandings. And just like the book I reviewed earlier, If I Was Your Girl, the reader knows the secret from the beginning. So we know that Ed is shadow, Lucy doesn't know, then Lucy starts falling for Ed but then she thinks she's in love with shadow and what's she going to do now she's got two but we know that it's one. It's just the same person, Lucy. It's all very straightforward. <laughs> that old chestnut. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but I found I found myself going along with it. You know, there those books where you know the ending before you start, you're just waiting for that moment, the big reveal, and then you're done and you're like, okay, well, why did I do that? It's about the journey. It is about the journey and this one is a good journey. Mm. It's worth the trip. I thought it was very much worth the trip. And it is, it's got such pace and momentum because it is this 24-hour period between finishing your last class of year 12 and then going out and being out until four in the morning and all of the things that can happen (laughs) to six people who converge and split up and go to a house party and go get a burger and go to a park and go to a skate park. And then and they meet up again at the casino. Like it's just, it's definitely our town. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely Mel- Melbourne, Melbourne yeah. Light. Let's call it Melbourne Light. Um, but I'm really looking forward to, so her new book is on the Inkies. So I, I can't remember the title, but I'm looking forward to reading that one too. So that was called Graffiti Moon by Kath Crowley. Lovely. I enjoyed that one too. I thought you it was did? quite nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's just a nice, good look at, 
what can happen in 24 hours when you're leaving school and falling in love. And yeah, just really nice. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, what are you reading next, Ben? You got something else to share with us? I certainly do. Mm. I am actually rereading something. Uh, I am rereading Philip Bullman's His Dark Material series. One of my favourite series. I need to reread it too, actually. I uh, it's it's great. I'm a total sci-fi and fantasy nut, and I learnt that he's actually penning the follow-up at the moment. And Netflix is, I believe, looking at creating a series. Oh, let's hope it's better than the movie. Oh, anything could be better than the movie. <laughs> um, but I absolutely love this book. Uh, I grew up reading Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and I only found Philip Pullman because I was so obsessed with Tolkien. I found Philip Pullman as an adult, and it's just something I totally would have gone to- nuts over as a child. This is um, like... Harry Potter, time, bit better times a million. Oh, that's uh, a big call. It I, just for me, it deals with a lot bigger issues. Mm. Uh, struggles with parent, well, struggles with split up parents, taken to extremes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you've read it, you you you'll understand that. Um, and you know, abandon parents abandoning um, religion and science and the state, and also it's just filled with lots of little metaphors and lessons, and it's just an, an amazing journey. It's a beautiful journey, and I feel like it's just perfect the way it travels, the way it winds up. I don't feel like it's rushed, which I can do sometimes with trilogies. And I just recommend it to anyone, uh, teenager or adult. Definitely wouldn't recommend it for younger readers, though, because there are some... The violence can be quite graphic. Uh, there are some quite sexual scenes in that, and the themes in it aren't for children. And um, it, it again, uh, this has been my theme. It is a challenged book. Um, it's been condemned by the Vatican for uh, perceived anti-Catholic views in it. Um, but no, I, I just find it, it's a beautiful, amazing piece of work and I can't wait for the follow-up, which is coming. Absolutely seconded. I loved all three books, actually, and I love the main characters too. Lyra, in the first book, is just such a wonderful, spunky, intelligent, courageous, just all the words, just such a great character. I really loved her. I absolutely... The the, the animal familiars that they have in oh, the world... Oh, what I a familiar. <laughs> oh, it's just like having a best friend that's a part of you and, and just mm-hmm. needs to be. They, they actually feel physical pain when they separated from them. And I know growing up, having a dog, I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, it's, it's and so And then what gorgeous. happens towards the end? Because there's, there's two worlds here that collide and there's, oh, it's oh. just, yeah. We can't tell you because we'd be giving it away, but... It, it is wonderful, and it is it is that transformation from children like childhood to adulthood. And I I disagree that um, younger readers the themes are above, beyond them. I think that they would get something from it as well, but potentially yeah, maybe sort of mid mid age range. So maybe that tween age we were talking about before, rather than anything too younger. So maybe what twelve up. Um, personally, I'd go sort of thirteen, fourteen, and up. Mm. Um. But yeah, no, no, I wouldn't give it to a primary school student. Mm. Yeah. Again, I've noticed it's a theme through all the books that we've all had. They all deal with growing up and blossoming and understanding and learning. And I guess that encapsulates YA totally. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that can happen at different ages for different children, different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds. So we don't want to be prescriptive on the ages that we're suggesting, just sort of generalised. Yeah. The best thing I recommend to all parents is to read the book 
and then give it to your child and then have a conversation about it, especially if there are difficult things in there because then you can talk it through together. Absolutely. No, that's bingo indeed, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Natalie? Are you reading anything that you'd like to share? Yeah, look... I wanted to review this book, but then I lost it and then I found it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you found it. It was on the couch the whole time, but I blame the cat. (laughs) Was it under the cat? (laughs) (laughs) She was sleeping on it. No, she put two cushions and a blanket on there. Could have been me that did that, but I'm blaming the cat. Either of the cats, really. Um, It's called Radio Silence. It's on the Inky Long List. Um, Alice Ozerman, it's set in London, I think, Um, and it's about a girl with artistic talents uh, battling her way through high school so she can get into a good college and she has a favourite podcast and she does a lot of fan art for her favourite podcast and then the podcaster gets in touch with her and says can you do fan art for the podcast and she like totally flips but then of course the guy who makes the podcast lives across the road from her. (sighs) So it's another book where we know the secret from the very beginning but he told her a quarter of the way through the book. So now I'm on the back foot and I don't know what's coming. So Ooh. I am enjoying reading this. I was very sad when the couch swallowed it. I was very <laughs> happy to find it. And I am looking forward to finishing it on the tram on the way home tonight. Lovely. Justine, what are you reading? I am so close to finishing and I can't wait again for the yeah, the train ride home just so I can finish the book. The Wrath and the Dawn by Renee Ardia. And it's basically a retelling of the classic 1001 Nights. Um, It's just, oh, so wonderful. So there's um, the 18-year-old Caliph of Khorasan, Khalid, is a monster. Each night he takes a new wife only to have her killed by sunrise. Oh, good grief. Shazad is the first volunteer to become Khalid's bride. She vows to stop his reign of terror for the friend she lost and all those who perished before her. Incredibly, she manages to survive her first morning and then the next. Night after night, she mesmerises the caliph with her storytelling at one spying time and digging deeper into the elusive boy king's past. Is he truly the murderous madman everyone says he is? And how does Shazad find it so easy to fall for him? And it's just gorgeous. I love it. It's a beautiful, beautiful retelling. It's just, it's really just, I love the writing. I love the descriptions. I love the stories. I love the characters. And I only have like 100 pages or less to go and I can't wait to finish it. Oh, I hate when you get to that point. I know. And just, oh. I really want to finish it. But yes, I'm going to be sad when it's done because it's just really lovely. So that's The Wrath and the Dawn. Renee, R-D-A, it's A-H-D-I-E-H. Well... That's our show. Thank you so much, Ben, for joining us today. It's been really wonderful to have you here. It's been my pleasure. And just before we go, can I give a quick shout out to the Inky Awards? Yes. Uh, two of your books were on the long list. I went to the awards last year and it was fantastic. It's uh, YA long list and short list and winner actually picked by young adults. So it's it's just excellent for YA recommendations, whether you're old or young. Uh, the judges know their stuff because they're living it at the moment. And, and yes. it's just an excellent, excellent, excellent award. Mm, and a one, and the uh, the website has the long list up at the moment, and I think they'll put the short list up whenever that's. Um, yeah, and there's announced. lots on yeah. the long list. It's a great Heaps resource for parents and for for just kids. For everyone, yeah. it is fantastic. Yeah. Wonderful. 
Thank you for that, Ben. Thanks, um, Ben. You can read our show notes, including a list of the books we discussed on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. We would also love you to tell us what you've been reading or ask us for a reading recommendation. Tweet us at melblibrary, that's M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y, with the hashtag Dear Reader, or join the conversation on Goodreads. Don't forget you can download Dear Reader episodes at SoundCloud or iTunes, search for Melbourne Library Service, download, subscribe, do your thing. And the funky music on our program is by Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au. And until next time, dear.